Hey there, it's Jeff MacArthur, and today on our podcast, we talk about the continuing troubles for Justin Trudeau, proroguing the government, and COVID concerns as students and teachers try to head back to school this fall. And let's get to the latest on the Liberals pushing pause on Parliament. Conservatives, they were at swinging once again this morning in a press conference. They say Prime Minister Trudeau is engaged in a massive cover-up of his government's intent to funnel millions to friends at the WE charity through an aid program for students. Charlie Angus is the finance critic for the NDP, and he joins us here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Mr. Angus, nice to have you back on and speak with you again. Great to be on the show. All right. Are the NDP, are you willing to go as far as the Conservatives and call the proroguing of Parliament a cover-up? Well, this is a cover-up for certain, but I think it's even uh, more uh, serious than that. We are in the biggest economic and medical catastrophe in a century. Uh, And we have a prime minister that I think around the world people were saying, wow, Canada's doing it the right way. They're, you know, steady as she goes. And we have the prime minister uh, changing from that tack to shutting down parliament, skipping town, shutting down the committees, the COVID committees, the work that's being done. Why? Because He's up to his neck in an ethical scandal. So I think the fact that he's putting uh, the party uh, and their ethical problems ahead of Canadians at a time of unprecedented pressure, I think that's even worse than the cover-up. Well, as you well know, the talking points from the uh, Liberals, from the uh, government, is that they've hit pause for legitimate reasons, that the uh, pandemic calls for a reset in a new throne speech, the one 10 months ago, does not apply uh, now with uh, what we uh, face thanks to uh, COVID and the uh, pandemic. You're not buying any of that, though? Well, uh, the only um, pause button that they pushed, uh, they threw their finance minister under the bus. So uh, Bill Morneau was very ethically challenged. But what message does that send to world markets in the middle of a pandemic when we know that the government of Canada is going to spend an unprecedented amount of money to get us to the other side, that they're saying, oh, well, we just got rid of our finance minister, but don't worry, um, there's nothing to see here because we're shutting down Parliament. The reality is, come the 1st of September, for about 2 million Canadians, their CERB runs out. Uh, and EI is not going to transition. So they're, they're looking to Parliament for answers. We have students across the country going back to school, families uncertain about that. Uh, the feds have a lot to play in terms of the, the response we need to have in place. They're not answering to that. And, of course, then the university students who got ripped off never saw any of this $900 million. They've got big student debts, and they're going back to school at the start of September, and Parliament's closed. Um, the pause button here is trying to give Justin breathing room on an ethical mistake he made. Can I ask, and we wondered a lot about this on the show uh, yesterday, uh, why can the House not sit but an investigation continue? I mean, why is one action related to another? I mean, do we need to kind of revisit prorogation and what that uh, means? I mean, if you want to hit pause on a parliament, that's one thing, but does that mean pretty much everything has got to come to a standstill, including the uh, WE investigation? Well, if your listeners remember, Justin Trudeau made prorogation uh, a 2015 Uh, campaign promise, because Stephen Harper used prorogation when he got in trouble, and Justin said, I'll never pull a Stephen Harper. Well, he just pulled a Stephen Harper. It would have been okay for him uh, late, you know, just the week before the House returned to prorogue, which means you clear the decks. That way they bring in a new throne speech. They could have done that. But to prorogue now, the only reason they're proroguing is to shut down the investigations of the committees 
that right now with 5,000 new documents, wow, do we have a lot to look at. We have a lot to investigate, and they're making it impossible for us to draw witnesses. They're, they're shutting uh, down the oxygen levels in Ottawa, so it's very difficult for the opposition to get the story out. But I think they're making a big tactical mistake here. Uh, Canadians aren't going to put up with this. We want answers. We will continue to push Justin Trudeau. I don't know if he's hiding at Harrington Lake or where he's hiding, but he's going to come back to Ottawa, and the temperature in the water is going to be a lot hotter than it was when he left. Here with Charlie Angus of the NDP. As you well know, Mr. Angus, the throne speech, of course, is a confidence vote. Does your party, does the NDP still have confidence in the government, or do you believe it's time to trigger an election and maybe let voters decide on this? Well, I think what Mr. Trudeau has done is he's put, he's he's made the odds for his government much, he's really raised the odds. He's uh, this is a very confrontational move with the opposition. We have tried to work with them. It's minority. we got to work with people we don't like. That's how things work in a minority. Um, he's burnt a lot of bridges here. So we will see what he comes up with. Uh, it, better be, uh, it better be the vision of the New Democratic Party and what we've worked for for years, or Justin's going to be uh, uh, in trouble. So um, he's put himself in this position. He needs to walk through fire when Parliament comes back. So we're going to wait and see what he d- comes up with. Yeah, maybe you could square the circle for us and for voters that are maybe a little uh, confused because we've heard the same thing from the Conservatives uh, earlier today, again calling this a massive cover-up but saying that they're not ready to trigger an election. I mean, if you believe that there's a serious cover-up going on and that there's a serious ethical uh, lapse here uh, as well, uh, would your party not want to pull the plug uh, on this uh, government at its earliest opportunity if there's some serious ethical concerns here? Well, there are massive ethical concerns here. I think for us putting, again, the Canadian people first and foremost, we're in the midst of this unprecedented pandemic. Is Justin Trudeau the guy who can get us through? He looked pretty good in June trying to reassure people. He looks pretty bad right now uh, cutting and running. So we want to see what he's going to come back with in September 21st uh, to Parliament. We want to know what he's putting on the table, and then we will will base that uh, in comparison to his massive ethical breaches. But I think what's clear is he's just raised the odds for him much, much, much higher because of this really... I think it's an irresponsible move, and I think it's an immature move. All right, we will leave it there, Mr. Angus. Appreciate the time, as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. You take care. You as well. Charlie Angus is the NDP's finance critic. Page. Blacked out. This page. Blacked out. All right, there's the Conservatives' Pierre Polyev uh, referring to earlier today the uh, latest on the uh, WE scandal provided by the uh, government, which, according to him, is not much. A lot, of, uh, a lot of things redacted. So let's get back to Ottawa and the continuing drama surrounding the proroguing of Parliament in the We Charity scandal. Earlier this morning, the Conservatives calling this a massive cover-up by the Liberals. John Delacorte, Delacorte sorry, is with Hill and Knowlton Strategies. Kevin Goodette is the president of Bright Point Strategies, and both join us now to discuss here on Global News Radio. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Kevin, let me start with you. The uh, Liberals, uh, they're calling this yesterday a much-needed reset, saying that the throne speech of 10 months ago just simply does not apply thanks to the pandemic. Why aren't Conservatives buying that? Well, they believe, uh, I believe Conservatives believe that line. That is, it is a needed reset. The problem here is that the government is proroguing today for 36 days ahead of when Parliament will resume which kills all of the committee work that was planned to investigate the corruption 
uh, and poor choices of the government through the WE charity. That, that's really what's in question, that the Liberal government here is making a concerted effort to hide its undertakings through the WE charity. Uh, but it is a necessary reset aside from that. Yeah, John, let me ask you, as the Liberal government, I mean, Justin Trudeau in 2015 famously came to power promising more transparency and sunny ways. Has his government been forthcoming enough when it comes to the WE charity? I mean, we just heard uh, Mr. Polyev off the top saying that the you know the latest documents are pretty much all redacted. Yeah, it, uh, it brought to mind for me um, a, a couple of things. Um, there are 5,000 pages uh, that uh, were provided uh, to the committee uh, to review. Um, 5,000 pages, including uh, emails that were reported on, I think, uh, substantively uh, this morning in the Toronto Star. So I think if there is an opportunity to review them, um, if uh, if the Toronto Star can do it, I'm hoping that uh, the Conservative members of the committee can do the same. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, but what it calls to mind, and this is, this is uh, you know, being cursed or blessed with long memories, is um, there was another particular charity, um, uh, the, the Red Cross, uh, with, with, uh, that uh, where every, every piece of, of crucial correspondence with regard to the Afghan detainees was redacted. And uh, there was uh, literally months before uh, that was disclosed to the public. So conversations around um, transparency and accountability, I think that there does not bear comparison. And I think another crucial point here is that uh, when the conservatives prorogued government, they prorogued to avoid a confidence vote. The parliament will return two days after um, when it was scheduled to, to return. That is September 23rd. Um, and for a confidence vote with the speech from so I think there are crucial distinctions here, um, and not only crucial distinctions, but crucial distinctions that speak to this very issue of transparency and accountability. Okay, John, but does the Prime Minister have a problem? Because, you know, he famously came to power saying that he would not prorogue Parliament, that he would not pull a quote-unquote Stephen Harper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we all realize that um, there are many, <laughs> many things that have happened since um, the last election. Um and specifically uh, since uh, February of this year, that has been unprecedented. And to Kevin's point, um, there is a, um, if if there was never if there was ever a reason for a reset in terms of planning and priorities at a cabinet level, this is it. If there was ever a reason for uh, a speech from the throne that outlines uh, in with, a, with the broad canvas of every every policy front how a government can effectively deal with this pandemic, it is now. Yeah, Kevin, uh, your response to that, and in particular the redactions in these uh, 5,000 pages of uh, documents, I mean, it, it does leave people to wonder uh, what has been and why has it been redacted. I mean, is there really crucial government secrets here that's putting the uh, government and the uh, country of Canada at risk? Uh, I mean, we're talking at the end of the day about a, a, stu- a program for student jobs. I think, Jeff, you you nicely pointed out that when this prime minister ran, he promised to be the most accountable and transparent prime minister in the history of the world, basically, in the history of Canada. And many of us aren't surprised to see that he's not keeping his word on that front. And in many instances, and and this is just the latest example of information that's uh, half-disclosed, things are withheld and hidden. I mean, 
so far, some of the early discoveries from these documents indicate that uh, the Weed Charity was going to charge uh, basically twice what the uh, Associate Deputy Minister thought in the first place. It turns out that there's evidence that there was political involvement directing the bureaucracy to actually make this, which is actually exactly what the Prime Minister denied in the first place. So we have a Prime Minister who's not keeping his word, he's not transparent, not accountable. When we get into the weeds and all of this stuff and parents are worried about kids going back to school, I think if we fast forward to September 23rd and we're going to see a new throne speech, there'll be a new leader for the Conservative Party, there'll be a confidence vote for this government on the throne speech, as there is for every throne speech, um, there really is going to be a major political reset. And I think we're going to see a very interesting fall with the prospect of an election and that, that's where the rubble will really hit the road for everyone. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, Kevin, because, I mean, some pretty damning stuff being said by uh, conservatives, including again today that there's a massive cover-up underway by the uh, liberals. But the conservatives won't go as far as to say they are prepared to bring down the government when that throne speech happens in a confidence uh, vote. Why not? I actually think it's a, a mature and sober position to take to not guarantee one is going to vote, how one is going to, go, going to vote ahead of having seen what actually is in the throne speech. And is it, is it possible there's content in the throne speech that the Conservatives won't like? Absolutely. But I actually think it's a mature and responsible approach to government to actually wait and see before you tell people what you're actually going to do. Uh, I mean, miracles can happen and the government might actually do something reasonable. Um, so I, I do think there's a lot to be said. And then if you want to get into the weeds on the, on the politics of it, just tactically, uh, they shouldn't be signaling their strategy as, as a, a you know advice to opposition. Don't signal your strategy, and that's the path they're following here. <laughs> yeah, John, uh, your take on that. Would the liberals, would they actually welcome an election call? I mean, the polls uh, right now, if you want to believe the polls, uh, seem to be favorable and that the We Charity scandal really hasn't hurt the Trudeau liberals, although we haven't seen a poll since uh, Morneau's resignation. Yeah, you know, I think um, that that, uh, poll reflects is is what we have seen, I think, over the last few months. That is, what Canadians are really concerned about on a week-to-week basis right now is, are we going to be okay? Um, you know, um, for uh, those families that have uh, had to um, uh, apply to government for one of the government programs that uh, that address either unemployment or uh, uh, wage subsidy, um, there's, a, there's a real question as from week to week, are, are, we, are we managing? Um, and, and those are the questions I think that occupy Canadians right now. And and you know, every I just want to speak cl- clearly about you know what occurred with we. And I think what I think has been I think uh, has been reflected upon by the government too is there has been a rollout of policies and programs um, that at an unprecedented rate. And I think everyone regrets when the stakes are made in the process here with regard to, you know, due diligence, managing these programs effectively. But for full context here, I think it's important to realize that you have programs moving forward uh, in a month's time, which often take a year to get to cabinet. Um, And so um, is there a little bit of fatigue in terms of uh, the rollout of these? Absolutely there there is, I think. And and, and to that, I think um, that's... um, it's indicative of <laughs> that's one point of alignment between most Canadians and and what parliamentarians are 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 experiencing right now, and that is, you know, how do we keep the focus on managing the the true 
imperatives of economic survival uh, over the next few months. And that's yeah. that's why I think this, this scandal is, has less traction right now. Okay, John, do you believe that if it wasn't for the pandemic and the amount of uh, spending and programs that had to be put in place in a fairly rapid uh, order, that we, the due diligence, would have been done on that? Uh, I think that both the Prime Minister and Katie Telford's appearance at committee uh, is a strong indication that this government, and I think uh, a closer look at uh, what the Prime Minister, how the Prime Minister explained what occurred, and what um, what the documents that are now tabled to committee reveal, uh, is once again. You know, there is every effort made here for due diligence. And yet, and yet, uh, to be clear, um, was there mistakes made? Absolutely. And I think that there was a full understanding and recognition that we got to do better. Um, I think, uh, and quotations around that, to be clear, (laughs) they got to do better. It's a a learning moment for, as usual, the Trudeau screw ups and the flouting of the rules always seem to amount to a we just need to do better. I just find that refrain very common and, and uh, starts to be laughable. And, and, and I have the greatest of respect for, for John. So I, I just, this gets to be a common refrain with this government. That it's a teachable moment for us all, uh, Kevin? Yes. Well, all Canadians are making mistakes during the COVID times, although none of us are making $912 million ones. Uh, it's, uh, again, whether or not voters, you refer, Jeff, to the issue of polls, Taking a poll right now is difficult. We don't have a leader of the opposition. Uh, I think either Aaron O'Toole or Peter McKay uh, will turn out to be very credible alternatives. But currently, voters don't even have an alternative to look at. So polls are are, are a bit of a peculiar thing to be looking at at this point in time, I think. All right. I got to leave it there. Uh, Kevin and John, thank you both for your insight and your time. Really appreciate the conversation this afternoon. Thank Thank you very much. There goes John Delacorte with Hill and Knowlton Strategies. Kevin Goodett, president of Brightpoint Strategies. When it comes to your kids heading back to class, some pretty interesting words from the Toronto District School Board, their interim leader, saying, how about this, barring a miracle, barring a miracle, it is unlikely that thousands of students will actually be returning to class here in Toronto on September the 8th. Let's have a listen to uh, Alexander Brown on the station earlier today from the Toronto District School Board, who says sub- September 8th, sorry, is not looking good when it comes to the start of school. Well, our director said last night that it would take a miracle for that to happen. And I think we all agree that it won't be starting on September 8th. There could be some uh, um, staggered starts on September 8th. So we may have some students back, but we're not sure of that plan. But I can guarantee that we won't have everyone back. Okay, we've talked about that uh, a couple of times over the last uh, week and a half, two weeks, about this staggered start. Denmark, in particular, they've been pointed to as a real success story, that they actually ease students back, starting with the youngest, the elementary uh, students, and ease them back and got them used to wearing face masks and distancing for two, three weeks before they then welcome in some of the older students. Here's uh, Mr. Brown on the plan for a staggered start. That is still in the works right now. Uh, we just uh, the, the direction from the ministry just came to this board, uh, to all boards, at least to ours last Thursday, and we've uh, just reviewed the plans or the potential plans last night in a meeting. Uh, so we do not have a plan uh, that's going to come next. All right. He was also asked uh, what was looked at at that meeting last night. We had the opportunity to look at the options that are available to us for our elementary uh, classes. 
We also reviewed the secondary school plan, uh, and now we need to go to the next stage, which is a finance meeting to discuss how much money uh, we're going to use from our reserves and how we're going to do this to try to get to um, smaller class sizes, as small as we can, following Toronto Public Health's guidelines and also the direction that the ministry has given us, which is basically um, full-size classes uh, pre-pandemic-like. All right. We remember the direction from the education minister last week, Stephen Lecce, was for school boards such as the TDSB to dip into their reserve funds. Finally, here's uh, Alexander Brown on uh, money and saying that, uh, well, the TDSB not expecting to get any more money. I think our advocacy has been ongoing the whole time. We'll continue to do that, but I'm not holding my breath that we're going to get anything else because we've been, I think we've been through every, every uh, possible combination of uh, suggestions in trying to bring forward creative ideas for our schools um, that, do, that does actually limit the amount of money we use, uh, we'd need to use, and create much safer environments for the kids, and that's number one. All right, let's welcome into the conversation now Deborah Buchanan-Walford. She's a secondary school teacher and also part of something known as the Ontario Education Workers United, which is especially concerned about safety with the current back-to-school plan. And Deborah joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Deborah, good afternoon and thanks for your time. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. First off, what is the message of the Ontario Education Workers United? Our message is that we, like everyone else, want schools to reopen, but we want them to reopen safely. And currently, the plan by the ministry is not safe. Where does it fall short? Uh, Where, in your estimation, or I guess the organization's estimation, uh, do schools uh, fall short? So the main areas are with class size and contact between pupils and, and education workers. As it stands right now, As we know, elementary schools, they are not enforcing less than 15 students in the room. And in fact, in many schools across the province, there will be over 30 students without masks from JK to grade three in schools. We also have the problem of ventilation. So with the COVID three Cs, it's closed spaces, crowded places, close contact. If we have poor ventilation, we have windows that don't open, HVAC systems that need heavy repairs, we are essentially sending students and education workers into very unsafe spaces. We're also concerned with the issue of the busing of students. There are lots of schools where busing is mandatory for at least 90% of kids to get to school. There is no social distancing on the bus, even though they are saying there will be the wearing of masks. There are also no adults other than the bus driver on a bus to maintain order, distancing, safety, and all of that. Those are the main areas that we have concern with with this plan. That's really interesting regarding busing. That's a take I haven't heard uh, up until now, but uh, certainly seems like a legitimate concern. But let's back up, if we could, uh, Deborah, to your other two concerns, that being ventilation and classroom size. I mean, to shrink the amount of students in each uh, class, you're going to need more room, more square footage. In some of these schools, obviously, with their ventilation, that can't be fixed in a matter of days or uh, weeks. So does the school boards, do they need to be looking at alternative uh, sites to hold classes? Yes, and that's why you heard from you know the director of TDSB that, barring a miracle, 
we cannot start on September 8th because these things will take time. And the ministry has had time, but they haven't been using it to address these concerns. Thankfully, as well, there are places in, for example, Toronto that have offered, you know, city spaces, libraries, um, other closed buildings. And if that could happen on a larger scale, we would have the opportunity to have these smaller classes. And the smaller classes will also need more educators, of course, to facilitate these classes. All right. It's August 19th. Can all of that be really accomplished uh, by September uh, the 8th? Does your group, uh, Ontario Education Workers United, want to see that start date pushback? Ideally, yes. Of course, we are frontline workers. We have no control over how any of that goes. But looking at, you know, the realities, it's it's going to be not impossible for all of that to be ready by September 8th. It definitely is going to require a pushback. Are there members of your group, Deborah, prepared not to report for work on September 8th, feeling as if the uh, workplace is just unsafe right now? So that sentiment has been rising. And the thing about it is workers do have the legal right to refuse unsafe work. That happens on site, though, and we are trying our hardest to make the site safe before we get there. But if we do show up to work and it's unsafe, we do have the legal right to refuse to work. So is that something that's going to be a judgment of each individual teacher when they show up, uh, report to back to work? Uh, I think they're due. Aren't, aren't teachers due back to work a couple of days ahead of that September 8th start date? Yeah, so... Um, Not sure for every single board, but I do know in Toronto we are supposed to be back September 1st for PD, and that PD is supposed to span three days. We don't know what that's going to look like. As of today, we have no idea what that's going to look like. We don't even know if it's going to be at the building or online or or anything. So it is definitely going to be up to individual workers to exercise that right. But I can assure you that it's definitely a sentiment shared by by many of us across the province. Are you anticipating a bit of a a showdown then between uh, teachers, the school board, uh, the government? Because the government might see things one way, that this is indeed a, a safe environment, and an individual teacher might see it differently. So I wouldn't use the word showdown, um, but definitely the fact of the matter is, if, if your work site is unsafe, you're, you're not going to work in an unsafe environment. You're also not going to put children in an unsafe environment or adult students, as, for example, I teach adults. So it's not necessarily a showdown, but it is going to be making sure that this, the situation is safe. And if it's not safe, we will do our utmost for it to become safe. Yeah, Deborah, has there been enough collaboration as far as you and other teachers, part of the Ontario Education Workers United, enough collaboration with the school boards, uh, with the Ministry of Education, uh, with the government when it comes to ensuring that the workplace is safe? The ministry has not really been collaborating as much as they have been directing, and they're also not listening to the boards and the unions. Uh, A rhetoric that is there is that, you know, it's the unions versus the ministry. That is not the case. Unions, the word union means togetherness. Unions are made up of our members, right? And in the board, teachers don't sit at the table and tell the board what to do and what not to do. They make those decisions independent of us, which is why we have union representation. The ministry has not been listening to 
the representatives of the unions, and they have not been listening to the board. So it has caused this huge disconnect between the three parties. Just finally, Deborah, I want to ask you, you know, teachers are going to get a chance to go into the classroom several days beforehand and, as uh, you mentioned, determine whether or not they feel safe and it's a safe work environment. Do you know if parents will be given that opportunity as well when it comes to sending their kids back to the classroom? Are they invited? Will they have uh, the means uh, to come in and inspect, if you will, or look at the classroom uh, in the school to further educate themselves and enable them maybe to make an educated decision when it comes to whether or not they really want to send their kids back into the classroom at this time? Even though that information is not concrete to date, I can tell you that will most likely not be the case. Because what is happening is there is a need to limit the number of people in the building. That is going to include parents. Usually, parent drop-off happens at the door. It's going to be even more of an issue. There's going to be a staggered entry into the building with pre-screening, with, I can imagine, lines like, you know, when you go to the grocery store. That's not going to be um, a safe space for parents to then come into the building again and reintroduce, you know, foreign bodies and, and all of that in the individual classrooms. I don't anticipate parents being allowed into the buildings to see kids' classrooms or to make any decision on that. All right. Well, needless to say, this is an issue that's on the minds of every parent, student, educator as well. And Deborah, really appreciate the time you spent with us here this afternoon. Thank you so much. There goes Deborah Buchanan-Walford. She is with the group Ontario Education Workers United, who are concerned about the safety with the current back-to-school plan. And that's the podcast for today. Of course, you can always catch us live, The Jeff MacArthur Show, every weekday from 1 to 3 on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.